0: Bienvenidos. Welcome to the Learn Spanish Con Salsa podcast, the show for Spanish learners that love music, travel, and culture. Close your grammar textbooks, shut down the language apps, and open your ears to how Spanish is spoken in the real world. Let us show you how to go from
1: beginner to bilingual. Here is your host. Certified Language Coach, Tamara Marie. Hola y bienvenidos al episodio 126. Welcome to episode 126 of the Learn Spanish con Salsa podcast. In this episode, I sit down with Ali Richards. Ali is a language educator, author, and polyglot from the UK who speaks eight languages, he started a blog called I will teach you a language and since then he's developed the story learning method which is a new way to learn languages through story. Ali has published over 30 books, consulted for major institutions across Europe and is a regular speaker at international language events. Now, even though he has such an impressive resume, I have to say Ali is very down to earth. I met him at uh, Langfest back a few years ago now in Montreal. And actually it was over lunch with him and a couple of other folks that I met there that the idea for Spanish con salsa was born. And I talk about that on the, I will teach you a language podcast. So make sure you check that out. And actually, if you go to the show notes page for this episode, learn Spanish dot com slash one, two, six. Then you'll also see a link to my conversation with Ali if you want to hear more about that story. Make sure you stick around to the end of this episode because there will be a special opportunity for you. If you're interested in testing out this method of learning Spanish through story, we'll talk about a few ways that you can do that at the end of the episode. So make sure you stick around all the way until the end. And I hope you enjoy my conversation with Ali Richards. Hola, Ali. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the Learn Spanish Consalsa podcast.
0: I am so excited to be here and to talk to you. Um, We've been friends for years and it's great to be on your podcast finally.
1: Yeah, it's great to finally have you here. And, you know, I wanted to really get some insight from you on some of the things that you've been doing with your business as well while we sort of chat. But I know you've had a lot of experience with language learning. Uh, so, for my audience that may not have uh, met you before, may not be familiar with what you do, just give us a little bit of an idea about. I will teach you a language, and sort of how you got involved in this whole language learning process.
0: Yeah, so I was a latecomer to language learning. I, I started—I mean, relative latecomer. Right? So, I started learning my first language, which was French, when I was nineteen. Uh, which might sound young to some people, but you know, I, you know, we all know people that started when they were in the womb. Uh, with growing up with five languages and all that, I didn't have any of that. Uh, but I started learning my first language, uh, French, when I was 19, and I kind of went quite extreme with it. I ended up moving to Paris for a while and uh, did well with French. And I worked really hard at it. That gave me quite a lot of confidence to think, hey, I want to learn some more languages if I want to. So I went on to learn Spanish and Portuguese, and then I traveled a lot, and I went to live in Japan and the Middle East, so I learned Japanese. and and then Cantonese and Arabic, um, and then later experimented with a number of different languages. So it's difficult to say how many languages I actually speak now because it's such a moving target. Um, but uh, but that was, I've just always been massively into languages. And then about six or seven years ago, I was stuck in Qatar, which is a tiny little Gulf state next to Saudi Arabia uh, in the Middle East. and I, it, It's a very dull place to be. There's nothing going on. And so I started a blog about my experience with language learning, and um, it ended up taking off, not not quickly, but gradually over time, and so I kind of kept that up, and then that eventually evolved into I Will Teach You a Language, which is the name of, of the blog, which is now becoming storylearning.com. Um, that happened because I, I ended up wanting to make mater- useful material for people to learn with that focused on stories. And um, there's a kind of long history behind why stories, which we could go into if you like. But essentially, I teach languages through stories. And so I, I write books um, of, of short stories and other things like that, that are specifically aimed at people who are kind of bridging that intermediate gap. Because it's quite difficult to find uh, useful material when you are at that intermediate level. Lots of stuff for beginners, lots of stuff if you're a native speaker or highly fluent, but there's not so much stuff for intermediate learners. So what I basically focus on doing is creating material and courses for people uh, to learn languages through uh, through story and focusing very much on, on the kind of educational content.
1: So that's interesting. How did you make that pivot then? Because you said you started with I Will Teach You a Language, and I know a lot of people that are familiar with you in sort of the Polyglot space and language learning community know you from your blog, I Will Teach You a Language. So how did you decide to really make that shift to change to story learning when you've already had established that brand of a language?
0: It was a very gradual thing and it, it mostly came as I as I, I I just noticed how much this concept of story learning as I call it um resonated with people. So I mean I've I've done lots of things over the over the years. I've created courses on like you know how to improve your memory and courses on like how to, you know, the, the steps to learn a language and things like that. But it was really once I started writing my books, or so short stories in different languages, uh, that I really started to notice that it really resonated with people. And I would start to get emails from people and people would come up to me at conferences. And so I, I really enjoyed your books. They helped me so much. And so I kind of, I realized that I was onto something. So I I, I then started to think, well, you know, how else can I, help and I use stories to help people learn and so I ended up kind of developing whole methodologies around it so I have um, my, my story learning courses are, are essentially learn a language from scratch from day one with stories so I kind of I, I was experimenting with all of these things but there came a point where everything I was doing was focused on stories and the, the, the even the term story learning started to become so common among my among my, um, my, my audience that I just thought, well, I will teach you. A, it shouldn't be about I, about Ollie anymore. It should be about um, what 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 myself and my audience have gone and fallen in love with, which is the idea of learning through stories. And so I spent a lot of money buying storylearning.com um, and decided to kind of take the leap and actually rebrand the whole thing to, to, to story learning. But it was a very kind of gradual process. Um, it, it, it seems quite sudden when when you lay it out like that, but actually it was something that you know we were considering for a long time behind the scenes.
1: No, that makes a lot of sense um, that you followed really what was working for your audience. And I think that's something that some people just don't do, right? Like they go, they have an idea and they put it out there and they say, well, this is what I want to show people. And this is sort of what I think makes sense. And without a lot of regard to to what is actually working for people. So I think it's good that you you know, picked up on that and took the time to really make a thoughtful decision that if you're, you're becoming known for learning through story, then it makes sense to sort of uh, just say what it is, right? Instead of making it ambiguous, like I will teach you any language, right? So <laughs> learning through story, much more specific.
0: <laughs> it did start off as I will teach you. Like, Ollie. This is what Ollie thinks. Here's what Ollie thinks. Yeah. Go and read Ollie's. It started off like that. But over time, you know, especially since we've got so such a fantastic team of people now who are doing everything from writing stories to editing books to creating courses, I felt more and more that I was being a bit disingenuous by saying every time I would call it, I will teach, because it's just not me a lot of the time. It's so, so many other people who need to take the credit. So it, it just felt right on every, on every level.
1: So talk a little bit about that then. How do you go from, you know, being a language learner to, you know, feeling like, okay, I'm proficient in these languages, I'm fluent, I can speak these different languages, to actually getting to a point where you feel confident that you can help people learn in different ways and then developing materials like books. I know you've published several books in different languages. How do you really make that shift? Because it's one thing to say, okay, I can speak Spanish or I can speak Portuguese, but it's another thing entirely to write a book intermediate learners of that language, how did you kind of go through that process and make that transition from learner to teacher?
0: Yeah, well, things—I've always been a teacher. That's the thing. So I—I I didn't mention this in, in in my little potted bio earlier, but I about uh, let me think about twelve years or, or so ago now. I actually um, changed career and started teaching English. So I took a qualification as a as an English teacher, and I went to live in Japan to teach English. And so I lived in Japan for years teaching English, and then, and then got quite serious about the teaching side of it. So I went on to do a diploma and then a master's degree in linguistics and got very kind of highly qualified as a teacher. And so one of the things that I, I feel has been quite useful for me in developing my, my career with languages has been the fact that I've, I've had this experience as a language learner, but also as a language teacher, which I, I think helps me do one thing in particular, which is like beyond learning languages, which is actually to be able to explain concepts. And I feel like I, I'm, I've developed the ability to explain concepts in a way which which people can relate to and understand. And that was kind of honed over many years through my uh, through writing blog posts and things like that. So actually when it came to putting, to creating courses and things like that, it was actually really the most, the easiest thing in the world because I, I, I already knew the the theory. You know, a lot of people who don't have teaching experience, they ask yourself, well, how do you teach a language? The only frame of reference they have is, hey, this is what I did. And I think this is where a lot of people struggle because that's that's the only reference they have. It's like, here's what I did. And teaching people what you did is not necessarily the right way to, to do it. You know, just because it worked for you doesn't mean that it will work for them. Um, so, but in my case, because I'd spent so many years teaching, and I was very familiar with lots of different teaching teaching theories, the the, the, the science of um, second language acquisition, that I was able to to put together methodologies for learning through stories that I was confident with, because I I know the literature, I know the research, and I know the, the practicum as well from having done it for so many years. So, I mean, we we could talk sp- um, specifics if you like about the about learning with. With stories, but it was it was actually one of the easier things for me because I, I've all, I've had so many years of that teaching experience. Yeah,
1: you, know, you said something that really stood out to me was just that you know a lot of people teach what they did, and that doesn't always work for people. I think there's a great parallel with that in in music as well. So like with with dancing salsa, there are some great dancers, right? And you look at them and you watch them in awe, and you're like, oh my god, they're like the best dancers. And then you go to take a class with them, and you realize you're not really Learning anything is like you're not able to to sort of dance the way that that they do, and they're not able to teach it because they feel like they have the sort of like innate ability. Um, and it's so it's really funny that you mentioned that because there's some really great dance teachers as well that are great teachers, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're the person that you're watching like on Dancing with the Stars or whatever like that. So it's just funny that you, you kind of mentioned that that you do have people that are very proficient, but it doesn't mean that they're good at teaching. So uh, that just kind of stood out for me.
0: <laughs> yeah, the well. The, the, the teacher, does, you know, the, the teacher doesn't have to be the the practitioner. You know, I mean, think think of the of the great sports coaches. You know, Roger Federer's tennis coach would lose to Roger Federer in a, uh, in, a in a game. You know, same for for, for all, all different kinds of coaches. Some of these coaches, in fact, never really had careers at all. They just become become coaches. And 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 you know, you can develop the ability by working with with students for long enough to actually be able to to become an effective guide um, and so you know you i think you, you can you, you do get teachers language teachers for example who are not particularly good at language learning but are great teachers over you know through 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 decades of of practice but i personally do feel that especially with language learning it, having the experience of having learned languages really does count because the thing that's unique about language learning and everyone listening will immediately I, um, appreciate this is that it's really ne- it's a really nebulous thing, you know. It's very difficult to be specific about progress. To feel you don't feel progress from one day to the next, or one or even one month to the next. It the nature of learning a language is more like you know you kind of study for a year and you realise hey I I'm, I'm better than I was a year ago, but I can't tell you when it happened <laughs> or how it happened. You know it's such a nebulous thing that I think the language learning perhaps more than other disciplines does really benefit from the teacher having the experience because it's, it's more difficult in language learning, I think, for, for for teachers to really give truths because there are very few truths with language learning. You know, effective language learning is m- it's far more about uh, issues around motivation, for example, or or social anxiety or self-discipline or, or little things like having the time or being able to create the time in your life to actually learn. Like, these are the things which can can really torpedo your, your your progress and I think if you if you haven't experienced that in yourself by, by yourself it can be very difficult to actually effectively help a student through the learning process
1: right which is which is why I think that you know there's this bias I think when when people are looking for language teachers that oh I have to have a native speaker it has to be a native speaker but I think that what you sort of lose with that if that native speaker has not had that experience in learning another language right, that yeah. it's it's really difficult for them not only to teach you, but also to explain the features of their own language. Because I know, I don't know about you, but like with English, if someone was to ask me, is the verb to be an irregular verb? Like I wouldn't, you know, like I don't have all this stuff like at the top of my head and I haven't really spent a lot of time explaining English grammar. It's just sort of, that's how you say it, right? So when you come across a native speaker, they just go, that sounds wrong. This is how it's supposed to sound. They can't really give you a proper explanation unless they've been properly trained. And the ones I found that are the best are also ones who have also learned other languages so they can help you. Uh, but, but even still with that, I would rather learn from someone who learned that language because they can point out those things. Ah, this is kind of like this in English or hey, this is kind of like that in French. If you know French, like having that exposure, I think, is is really important with languages because all those connections Really help you remember um, and really grasp things, whereas just like oh, that's the way it, it is, is not the best explanation <laughs> that you can get.
0: I absolutely agree, and l- let me tell you, like some, through all the, the the teacher training programs that I've been on over the years, and and also delivered because I, I, I was a teacher trainer for some time as well. Some of the best teachers, certainly some of the best English teachers that I ever I ever came across were were non-native speakers, uh, NNS as the, as, the, as they're known and it's, and it's re- exactly the reason that you say so the English teaching world is, a, is a, an oddity because English teachers on the whole you know they, they travel abroad to teach and then the English teaching world has, has kind of created this this kind of um, this unspoken rule that well in fact it's, it's, a, it's, it's not it's not unspoken at all it's, it's kind of the perceived wisdom that all language classes should be in the target language. so you have um, English teachers who are from the UK or from the US would travel to Japan and they would teach Japanese students and the class would have to be in English and then the kind of the, the, the theory which i think is a bit of a cheap theory is that well if you keep the more that you keep the class in the target language the more they're going to learn but actually if you can give a very concise accurate explanation of a particular grammar point in Japanese to those students they're going to understand it immediately and you're going to save yourself you know 5 minutes of of faffing around uh, in trying to get trying to convey this this abstract concept in english and the reason I, I mean call me cynical but the reason that i think this this kind of meme of always keep it in english has a, has evolved is simply because those teachers don't speak the language of their students and so right. they wouldn't be able <laughs> to explain it in the student's language uh, anyway because they haven't learned the language in the reverse situation it's a bit different because if you imagine you take um lessons with a spanish teacher that spanish teacher most likely speaks english and that's how they they communicate in their lessons so non-english teachers or what's the <laughs> teachers of other languages who are not from a native english background they generally have at least some experience of learning english at the very minimum you know so th- i think there is a kind of a there's a there's a there's a, um, the english teaching world and the foreign language teaching world are are, are quite different but, yeah, some of the most effective teachers I've met have been non-native speakers because they've been through the process. And that's why people like you and I, Tamara, can, can I think, be very effective at what, at what, I, at what we do. is because we know what it's like to try and wrap our head around the, the present perfect in Spanish and to right. understand like what exactly is the difference between the preterite uh, fui and iba and e ido. Like what is the difference exactly between we've had a, a native Spanish speaker can't can't explain that. No. <laughs> uh, but we can because we've had to understand it ourselves so we can explain it in a way that the other native English speakers are going to really relate to.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think one of the things you mentioned is saving time, which to me is a big uh, plus because, you know, I, I used to volunteer teaching English for a uh, it was. It wasn't just for native Spanish speakers, but it was what was mainly in the community. And Catholic charities had this uh, program, so I volunteered there one summer. And they were, like you said, te- you know, only speak English, but I spoke Spanish, so I would kind of cheat, like with the Spanish speakers. I'd be struggling to like use pictures and like try to explain something, and then I would just be like, better ah, day, okay, it's great. okay, like let's just move on, right? Like, and then and then I would just make more progress to the point that they that the people liked me because they were like, I could she un- she understands me, and we can connect, and I think making a connection with your students is also really important and just sort of them realizing that I knew and not that I would always speak to them in Spanish. I would try to sort of respect the rules of the program. But when I I needed to save that time, making that connection and just sort of giving that quick explanation was so much easier than trying to be orthodox about, you know, this sort of strict immersion. So uh, I like the practicality and time saving of that. So, okay, now let's delve into story, because you've talked a lot about story learning, how you sort of came up with this concept Talk a little bit about why that works so well, because like for me, as you know, I learned a lot through music. Music and story have a lot of, of relationships, a lot of songs tell stories, right? Yeah. Um, so I know the power that that has for just kind of linking into your mind to getting you to learn things, to memorize things without effort. So, so talk a little bit about how narrative and story really works for language learning and why you've seen that be successful for your students.
0: Yeah so there's two different elements to this the first element is story itself and what's special about story and the second element is how that's done in practice and how that actually manifests in the classroom which is through extensive reading so i'll start with story uh, and then and then why it's effective and then and then talk about extensive reading so the the basic idea with story is that it's a language that we already have in common okay so if you imagine uh, all any story you can imagine like a fairy tale or or a crime story Every culture has these stories and we all intuitively understand things like the hero's journey, the the story arc. These are things that exist and have existed for thousands and thousands of years. So when you are using story as your starting point, you already have something in common. And so what you're doing in a very simplistic sense is actually just kind of mapping these new words and phrases in the new language onto something you already understand. And so, story gives you that as a huge benefit when you're starting. Compare that to how most people start, which is studying grammar textbooks. And when you're studying grammar, and here's how you conjugate the verb to be, everything is abstract. It has no real meaning. Yo soy tu eres el es. These are things to be memorized. They have no inherent meaning to them, right? But with a, with story, everything already has meaning. And whether you whether you understand all of it or not yet. You're or you're dealing with something that you, that is already understood, and so this is a is a really um, on a very deep level is a, a more kind of direct path through to really to really knowing the language. Story as well has all kinds of fascinating fascinating physiological effects on the brain. So, for example, if you read a story about something sad, then the part of your brain that experiences sadness will fire up, and you'll be able to track this in brain imaging scans. And so, what Learning with Story does is that it activates all these different parts of the brain. And the way that memory is formed is through connections from different parts of the brain. So, by activating the whole brain, you're just embodying the language in every sense. And you're giving yourself really the best possible conditions for learning. Again, compare that to a grammar classroom where everything is logical. It's very left brain logical work, which is going to be... So, you're going to be working just in one tiny part of the brain, which just by itself makes stuff more difficult to remember. So from a from a just from a very kind of conceptual point of view, stories just give you everything that the grammar classroom does not. Now, in practice, if you ask, well, what does learning through stories mean? What do you actually do? Well, the main concept here is that you spend time with the language. So when you're reading stories, you're spending time not studying grammar, not memorizing vocabulary, but just reading stories and listening to stories. And this is known as extensive reading, spending lots of time with the language. Again, if you compare this to the traditional classroom, you're not spending any time with the language. You're just looking at rules and abstractions. But with story learning, you are spending your time reading, 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 reading all day long, and you just do more and more and more. And the more you build up your ability to read, the more you end up reading. And it's like this kind of virtuous circle where over time you, you develop the ability to actually read anything you want around your interests and then you're learning like a native speaker does by you know by reading books by going to school by just living your life in the language and that is how you get to a really native level in the language that's how you can kind of master grammar without having to learn the rules cuz stuff just makes sense to you on an intuitive level because you've just seen it so many times in the stories that you've been reading so what we're trying to do with story learning is yes we're using stories but we're also encouraging this input-based approach to learning where you're spending your time not studying in the traditional way, not deliberately practicing or forcing forcing output, which, it, which means speaking very, very soon um, if you don't want to, but rather just spending your time listening and reading. Lots and lots of input. And then you give your brain the opportunity to learn as you go.
1: I like how you mentioned just sort of that immersive aspect of it because it's also one of the things that I believe is a parallel with music, one of the reasons why I stuck with Spanish as long as I did was because it was a part of my life and I was dancing right, and I was yeah. singing along with music. So it became a really immersive experience that I didn't have to force myself to try. It was literally, you know, like songs, like you get these earworms, and they pop in your head and you'll be singing the song even when you don't intend to be. So I would often find myself doing that. But I, but I, I thought about, as you were explaining, learning through story how we get caught up in like our favorite stories, even like a movie, right? We think movies are about special effects. They're really about, like you said, the hero's journey. They're about the story. We get immersed in the character. And I just thought about, wow, if you had that level of of involvement, that level of immersion with another language, right? It, it, then you're right, it does become so much easier because you're not thinking about like, how is the grammar structured? You're thinking, wait, I want to know what happens. Like, is he going to get the girl? Is he going to get to the end? Is he going to get what he wants? Like, you want to know what's going on with the character and and all that other stuff falls away where you're, you know, preoccupied, I think, maybe too much on, oh, did I say something right? Or is this the right way to say something? And the part you mentioned about extensive learning too, I often find that now with Spanish, I am at a point where I can just tell someone something sounds wrong. Like the thing I mentioned earlier that native speakers do, <laughs> that's frustrating to learners. But, when, but, it, but I think it's also helpful because it does speak to the level of exposure you've had. When you when you see something said, quote unquote, the right way so many times, it is going to come at you as an anomaly when you hear it another way. You're going to go, uh, that's not quite right. Right, like I can, I can say, ¿cuál es tu nombre? I know that's right. Why is it not que es tu nombre? Who cares? It's not right. You know what I mean? Because I've just heard it so many times. So I think yeah. that um, there is something to be said for just that immersive approach and then learning, like you said, like a native speaker learns because that's really how we learn our native language, right? We don't sit down with a list of rules. We listen to people, we say things, we, we mimic them, and then eventually we, we get corrected on our anomalies, but we don't sit there and deliberately sort of figure all that out when we're babies, right?
0: <laughs> no, exactly. And I think, you know, you don't have to do this through stories. I mean, like like you're just describing with uh, with music, it's very similar. You can also get this kind of immersion through speaking, through just living with Spanish speaking people. I mean, the thing the, the thing that's that's particularly helpful about stories is that it's something that you could always be doing, right? So you can always be, you know, you don't have to, you can be by yourself at home and you can be reading. Whereas speaking, if you don't, if you're not lucky enough to have an immersion environment with lots of Spanish speakers, you can't be speaking all that much, right? So the big benefit of reading and, and with stories in particular is that you can always be doing it any You can always have it on your, uh, you know, on the Kindle app, on your phone, or you can have a book in your bag or whatever it may be. And, uh, and and music is fantastic for that as well. You know, so much. You know, I, I learned um, Brazilian Portuguese through music. I, I actually sat in my in my room when I was a student, and I taught myself to play the guitar by looking up bossa nova um, chord charts on the internet, and then just kind of practicing the chords and learning to sing these songs. And I would I would memorize word for word these songs in Portuguese, and I wouldn't know what they meant. And I would then I'd go and impress my Brazilian friends by singing like. Antonio Carlos Jobim songs word for word but I wouldn't know what they meant but of course eventually after learning this 10th, 20th, 30th song I did start to understand what they meant and then like you say things like Quale tu nombre becomes just, just, just totally second nature and it couldn't be any other way even though it just kind of to your English brain just doesn't make any sense of which is your
1: name yeah.
0: what are you talking
1: about? <laughs> which out no, of just, this list is, of is,
0: names is yours? It's just the way it is
1: Right. Very cool. Yeah. And I love that you had that experience with Portuguese. I actually did try to do some quarantine immersion with uh, Samba in Portuguese nice. uh, when I was at home. So I was taking Samba classes. I was speaking Portuguese. And I think, you know, anytime you find a way to immerse yourself in the language is, is you're winning, right? Because you're not you're not putting forth all this effort. I think we think language learning has to be hard, right? Or we think that you have to have some sort of natural sort of innate ability and that's something I do want to ask you about, because you mentioned at the beginning, you know, that, you know, you can't really keep track of the language you, su- you speak now. And I know, you know a lot of my listeners are probably thinking, you know, they have seen these videos of polyglots and people speaking. You know, I speak 47 languages or whatever like that. And they might be really intimidated and they might be like, like, I'm just trying to learn Spanish. Like, I, you know, like and they may feel like t- listening to someone like you, like you just have this natural gift. Right. For language. So what would you say to someone who thinks that? You know, there are people who are just gifted at languages, people who are good at language, and then people who are not. What would you say to them?
0: Yeah, it is. It is a, a kind of a problem with the with the polyglot community in, in particular. I think it's a mixed blessing, right? Because on the one hand, so many people actually start learning because they see people who have learned lots of languages, and they think, yeah, that means I can do it too. But then at the same time, you get people who are kind of discouraged and then and then think, well, you know, what's wrong with me? I mean, this person speaks twenty languages, and I can't even learn one so it's a mix it's 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 a mixed blessing but i think you know it is what it is and, and it and it does reflect the reality that in, throughout much of the world multilingualism is the norm you know there are places in india where it's totally normal to speak three or four five languages in europe as well it's very common for someone who lives in luxembourg to speak french german italian uh you know and then the local language so what would i say to to to, to people who think that i mean because I'm aware that also it doesn't really help me to say, you know, it's the norm in much of the world for people to speak lots of languages because that as well kind of, you know, that you can take that the, the wrong way as well. I mean, I think there is this, this goes for so many things in life. And comparison is such a difficult thing. And this is why I personally really, do, I really dislike social media. Um, one of the many reasons is just because you're kind of just put in this goldfish bowl where you are just comparing yourself with other people in you know, this person's li- look at this person's life why is their life more fun than me of course beneath the surface it's it's it's, it's usually not so you know i, I think really this comes back comes back just good life advice really we just get clear on what you want to do try to shut out the noise and then work diligently at what you're trying to do with the help of someone who has done it before and can guide you along the path and just you know stick at it every day because that's how we all learn you know i mean I've, I've learned many languages but i've also been doing it for a long time and whereas other people like playing football or or you know reading novels or watching tv i like learning languages i've just spent a lot of time doing it and i've been lucky enough to live abroad so it's not that i haven't done this i didn't wake up knowing these languages i put the work in over a long a long time that's just how i've chosen to, to spend my time um but, you know, for what it's worth, I don't really, I don't do multilingual stuff a great deal anymore. I tend to focus, at the moment, I, I'm just focusing on one language, which is, which is Cantonese, uh, because my wife is from Hong Kong. And so that's the language that's kind of meaningful for me right now. And I would happily sacrifice a whole bunch of languages to be better at Cantonese because that's what's meaningful for me. So I think this always has to come down to what what's meaningful for you. And, you know, I think so much in, so much in life is about understanding what you want um connecting with those those desires and then just really following through and making sure that your actions are doing your desires justice and that you're not just kind of thinking oh, i want to learn spanish and then you know 7 p.m comes and, and then you, you're, you're zoning out in front of netflix you know making sure that the that our actions are are, are doing us doing ourselves justice is is, is important but you know it's, it's one step at a time
1: yeah and i think one thing you mentioned is that, you know, you put in the work, right? You, you spent the time. And I think a lot of times, you know, like you mentioned on social media, or you like go on YouTube, it looks like, Oh, wow, this person just popped up and they're just speaking these languages. You don't know like how heavily edited or scripted their videos are. You don't know how proficient they really often are. very, and you, also, often very, yeah. very, very. <laughs> and you also, you know, don't realize that, you know, regardless of what you may see sort of presented, that there is a lot of hard work that goes into it. And fortunately, you know, there are a lot of resources available now that maybe weren't available 10 or 20 years ago that make language more accessible. But just because you see people like that, don't assume that it's not hard work to learn a language. So there's nothing wrong with you. There's no language gene, right? Like there's just the desire and I think mindset is really important and, and just putting in the work and, and sticking with it.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the, the kind of proliferate... <laughs> proliferate the, the downside of learning languages, I can't speak English anymore. The proliferation of um, of resources is not, I don't think, is necessarily a kind of universally good thing either because, you know, you can have all the resources in the world, but you still got to turn up every day and spend that hour learning, you know. So I, I think what you said is absolutely right. It's the, the mindset... Again, making sure that your actions are are in line with what you what you're looking for. That's you know that to the extent that there is a language learning secret, that that's it.
1: Yeah, it's it's simple, but not always easy, right?
0: <laughs> I, I, very much so.
1: Okay, entonces eh, ahora tengo un par de preguntas para ti en español. ¿está bien? Sí, claro. Okay, entonces porque este es Learn Spanish con Salsa, ¿cuál es tu canción favorita en español? Si oh, tienes Dios una. Mío,
0: mío, mío. Qué pregunta. Es, es imposible tener una, una canción favorita. Yo soy músico, de hecho. Me formé en la, en la música. Y tengo tantos años de, de amor con la música que, que, que hay unas cientos canciones que me, que me encantan. Hombre, yo diría que sería, probablemente sería o un bolero mexicano, o un, una, una salsa de los Pan Man, o Banda, a lo mejor. No, no no te podría decir cuál, pero son aquellas canciones de, de México, de Cuba, que realmente me, me quedan en, en, en la cabeza y, y en la memoria. Y, y el momento que oyes una una, una, una salsa de los Pan es imposible no moverte, ¿no? Ah, sí. Así que, <risas> sí, algo... Algo así. Pero también me encanta la música argentina, el folclore, el tango, porque pasé un, un, un tiempo en Argentina también. Muchísimas cosas, pero o sea, algo de algo de Cuba o de México.
1: Ah, okay. Una pregunta difícil, ¿no?
0: <risa> es muy difícil. Sobre todo para un músico.
1: Sí. Entonces, una pregunta que, que puede ser difícil también. ¿Tienes una pregunta o dicho en español que es, es algo importante para ti? ¿Una palabra favorita en español? ¿Puede ser un, una palabra o un dicho? Hay, hay, un, hay un dicho que
0: me encanta que es, el camino se hace al caminar. El camino se hace al caminar, que en inglés sería, you create the road by walking, que para mí significa que, que realmente no hay, si, si hay algo que quieres hacer en la vida, no hay un camino predeterminado Para seguir, sino tú tienes que buscar cómo lograrlo, cómo conseguir lo que quieres. El camino se hace el caminar y eso es. Um, so, yo vivo mi vida así. <ríe>
1: sí, y tienes que empezar primero, ¿no? no es como, sí, claro. No hay perfección. Y, 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 no hay
0: perfección. Como el dicho el chinés, ¿no? El um, journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step o uh, algo así.
1: La última pregunta que tengo es. Si no tuvieras que trabajar, y yo sé que tú tienes un negocio, ¿no? Pero no, no necesariamente sí. tienes que trabajar como, como todos nosotros. Pero si no, no tuvieras que trabajar, ¿qué harías con el tiempo adicional en tu vida?
0: Si me hubiese preguntado eso hace 20 años, te diría que pasaría todo mi tiempo estudiando los idiomas. Ahora, ahora no, ahora, ahora no. Uh, creo que sí, bueno, si, si no hubiese el, el la virus, el covid uh, estaré, via- estaré viajando porque me encanta viajar, pero también tengo familia, casa y todo, entonces viajar también es muy uh, práctico. No sé, ¿sabes qué? De, de todas tus preguntas, esa es la más difícil, porque es algo que me pregunto muchas veces cuando tengo tiempo libre, ¿qué me gusta hacer? La verdad que ahora lo que más me gusta es hacer cosas, hacer cosas lindas, ¿no? Caminar en la playa, vivo aquí de, de, 15, bueno, de, de, de coche. En coche de 10 minutos a la playa, voy mucho a la playa para, para pasear. Me gusta estar en el jardín, eh, salir con mis amigos a, a tomar algo. Cada vez más me, me gustan las cosas simples. y sí, la vida no es sé, simple. Sí, una vida simple con, con, con gente que me guste, con, con buena comida, con buena música... El problema es que la gente no está siempre libre, ¿no? Así que si estás solo, sí. es un poco, un poco más difícil uh, hacerlo. Pero no, una, com- una combinación de, de aquellas cosas. Y bailar salsa también, se me olvidó.
1: Ah, sí. Por supuesto que sí.
0: Pero tampoco se puede, se puede estar bailando salsa todo el tiempo, ¿no?
1: sí entonces gracias Ali thank you so much for taking the time to join me on the podcast my pleasure and if folks want to get in touch with with you and find out more about st- story learning where can they find you on on social media and all that good stuff
0: yeah well if you like podcasts which I imagine you do then you could uh, check out my podcast the, uh, it's called the I Will Teach You a Language podcast we also have a uh, story learning Spanish podcast which is a, a daily Spanish immersion podcast um, or you can find me on YouTube. I make videos about language learning on YouTube. Just search for Ollie Richards there or on my website as well, which is storylearning.com. And uh, if you're interested in story learning in general, then you can go to storylearning.com forward slash kit which is storylearning.com forward slash kit and that's a kit I put together that kind of explains, gives you a like an introduction to story learning so what's it all about what rules should you follow how does a method work and and a bunch of cool uh, free resources there to help you to help you get started in in, in different languages
1: okay thank you so much and que tengas un buen día (laughs)
0: muchísimas (laughs) gracias por la invitación y gracias a ti también
1: I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Ali and that you don't feel intimidated anymore now when you see those uh, YouTube videos where people are speaking 27 languages. (laughs) And you're feeling like, oh, my gosh, I'm never going to get fluent in just one. Uh, I hope he shed some light on that. And also just the power of learning through story. Now, if you're interested in testing out this method for yourself, I did promise you at the beginning of the episode that I would give you some ways that you could do that. And number one, if you go to our show notes page at LearnSpanishGuanSalsa.com slash 126 uh, or you just search for Story Learning Spanish on whatever podcast app that you're listening to this show right now. You'll be able to find the Story Learning Podcast, which is a daily podcast, as Ali mentioned, uh, where you can uh, learn how to apply this concept or this technique to your Spanish. Now, I'll also have a special gift for all of the listeners of the podcast. You can get a seven-day free trial of Ali's course, Spanish Uncovered. Now, Spanish Uncovered is a course for beginners, and it helps you right from the start learning how to learn Spanish through story. So you you really go through Ali's method. And actually, my son has used this uh, for Japanese, but it's not a course for children. Um, It is for adults. And it does very much take you through how to approach learning Spanish through story in a very methodical way. So there's no guessing of trying to figure out what to do next. But it is a little bit uncomfortable at first. I will say you will be thrown into right into a story but there is a method to the madness. So don't give up right away. Make sure you stick with it, um, and it will all come together and start to make sense as you go through the course. But in any case, you can try it out free for seven days if you follow this special link, which is slash Spanish Uncovered. So again, that is SpanishCuanSalsa.com slash Spanish Uncovered if you want to get seven days of free access to Ali's Spanish Uncovered course. As always, I hope that something that you heard today has helped you go at least one step closer from Spanish beginner to bilingual. Hasta la próxima.